Amen. Well, go ahead and uh, take your Bible and turn to, this is going to be a tough one to find, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, 1. I'll give you a hint. It's before the book of Revelation. All right, Genesis 1, 1. And most of us have it memorized, but uh, let's go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and and read it, and then I'm going to have you join me the second time, all right? The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Aren't those beautiful words? Okay, let's, uh, let's all say it together here. Ready, begin. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All right. And uh, tonight we're going to be zeroing in on that word God, that name God here tonight, and uh, looking at the names of God. And so we're, co- we're continuing our series uh, on Bible doctrines, and we're still in the theology. We first looked at bibliology, now we're kind of zeroing in to theology. And then next we'll look at Christology on uh, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, uh, but We're going to finish this part of theology with a study on the names of God. And uh, looking at your outline tonight, I I, I doubt we're going to finish all of it, okay? Uh, Knowing me, right? Uh, So I don't think we're going to finish all of it, but we'll give it, uh, we'll give it, we'll start it tonight and see how far we get. Uh, But we want to look at the names of God tonight and what we can learn about who he is in his names, because there is a lot we can learn from the names of God. Um, I'm thankful for my name, and, and some of you have heard how my uh, dad wanted to name me Clarence. And uh, I'm, I, I don't hate the name Clarence, but I like the name Eric a lot better. Um, and uh, although Clarence, I don't know that it's harder. Hard, most people know how to spell Clarence. Not everybody knows how to spell Eric. Uh, some people put a K there. I went to Wendy's today, and uh, the guy said, okay, what's the name of the order? And I said, Eric. And he said, is that with a, with a, is that with a C? And I said, yes, and thank you for asking, uh, because not everybody asks, and it deeply offends me when, no one, when, when they put a K there. I said, I'm kidding. It doesn't actually really offend me. Uh, but uh, they, some people have spelled it in very different weird ways, uh, but names are important. Um, when choosing names for our children, we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to name our kids like Ahab or, you know, uh, Lucifer, you know, (laughs) although sometimes you wonder as they're growing up, they're like, maybe I should have renamed you something different than what I did. But no, we, we tried to pick names that would, uh, you know, they would live up to, you know, with Seth and Daniel having an excellent spirit. Um, so we named him Seth Daniel. We wanted him to have an excellent spirit and, and to have a purpose in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself and uh, things like that. Well, the name of God and, and God's names that are revealed in the scriptures are very descriptive of who he is and very significant. It's not just, uh, you know, well, that's nice. That's just a nice name that he chose for himself. No, they're, they're, they're meaningful they, they have significance, 
And uh, there's some things that we can apply to our own lives as we consider our relationship with the Lord as we go through these names. So what are the names? And, and there's a lot more that we could really cover even than the ones that I have in the outline here, but uh, we're just going to cover several. And uh, there's others that we could look at, but we're going to zero in on these that, that I've chosen to, to look at. So there's, there's five major names that we're going to look at, and in some of those, there's going to be some combo, the combination of that name and another name, and, and we'll under, you'll understand as we get into that. The, the four main names, uh, or the f- five main names for God are first, uh, the first one is Elohim, um, which means God. Um, so in looking at Elohim, it is used... Um, over 2,500 times in the scriptures. Uh, many, some people believe it's like 2,600 times that that name is used. And it refers to God's power and God's might. Um, and it's also scripture's first name for God. Genesis 1.1, uh, in the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. And uh, it really uh, refers to, again, God's power and God's might. It's a general term that refers to God as powerful. And uh, it's, by the way, a good thing for us to remember that God is powerful. Uh, He was so powerful that in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he did so uh, with the spoken word. He said, let it be, and boom, it was. Um, Again, we could, you know, build some things. Uh, Brother Boubier built this pulpit a few years ago, um, but he didn't speak it into existence. I'm sure he wished he could have at times. I wish he would have. I'm sure he was like, man, those angles. Why did the why did pastor want me to build it with those angles? Because they're really difficult. And uh, Brother Corey built that uh, offering box back there, and, and uh, I designed it, and he was like, man, I really wish I could have just like spoken it and it was done. Uh, and again, some of those angles and that little pyramid thing that's there was uh, gave him some fits, I think. And um, you know, but all that God created, He was able to do that with the spoken word because of His power. When you and I consider the things that we go through in our life, remember that nothing is too difficult for Him, including the trial and tribulations that you're going through right now, and including, well, how are we going to make it through this? you know, period of inflation and the gas prices going through the roof. And um, my, uh, my brother was, he's on vacation in uh, Florida and he, uh, they got gas there in Florida uh, with their rental car. And it was like four, you remember how much it was, Julie? Like it was well over $4, like four fifty, four sixty, something like that. And he's like, oh, I wish these, these prices were in California. And so I commented and said, well, I paid three eighty-five in Oklahoma <laughs> yesterday. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> uh, but still, three eighty-five is a lot more than it was a couple years ago, right? When we had mean tweets, but we had lower gas prices. Anyway, um, we need to move on. But how, how are we going to get through this time? Uh, well, God is powerful. If he was able to create the heaven and the earth with the spoken word, he can surely get us through this time of high gas prices. And he can sure see us through the trials and tribulations that we're going through. And so this very first name, Elohim, this, uh, where we get the word God, many times when we see the word God in the scriptures, that's referring to 
um, God as powerful. And often it is shortened to just L, E-L. And as, meaning, as the meaning is primarily the strong one, it is fitly used in the first chapter of Genesis. Uh, it is not a personal name of God, but it is God's official title. It's what he is. He's God. He's Elohim. Um, so the first name is Elohim. The second name is the word El, E-L. And uh, this is kind of an abbreviation or a shortened version of Elohim. But in that, we have four compounds for the name El. And uh, let's go in and, and look at these here. First, we have El Roy. And this one means the strong one who sees. In Genesis chapter 16, let's go ahead and turn over there. We'll look at a few of these passages here. Uh, we won't look at every instance that this name, these names are found, but uh, many of them are only listed once. But the context in which they are said and referred to is significant and helps us to learn uh, the significance of these words. So Genesis 16, um, verse number one, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Uh, bad move, Abram. Uh, he should have been patient. He should have said, Honey, I know that it's taking a long time, but let's continue to be patient. But instead, he was like, Okay, I'll let you lead. And uh, so he did what she said and uh, ended up ca causing great regret and, and some difficulties because of that, of course. And then uh, going down here in verse number um, six, it says, Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So she bailed. And then um, in verse number in verse number seven, it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. And so there's this conversation between the angel of the Lord and Sarai, or I'm sorry, Hagar. And verse number 13, jump down there because this, the, this is where it is. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And the point is, God saw her in that scenario. And uh, there was, um, Sarai got anger, angry and, and uh, cast Hagar into the wilderness. And uh, when all hope for survival had fled, this pagan Egyptian uh, girl was visited and ministered to by the God who sees and so when you think you're all alone and no one cares, no one sees what you're going through, don't forget, God is Elroy, the strong one who sees. And, you know, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, you know, whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I uh, take my wings and go to heaven, thou art there. Make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. It, it doesn't matter. You see me wherever and uh, that is a great comfort to us. It's also a great convicting thought as well as we go through our life and we think, oh, no one sees what I'm doing. Oh, yes, God does see. The strong one sees Elroy. 
And so we have El Roy, and then the second one here is El Aleon, the strongest strong one. And uh, this is uh, found in um, Genesis chapter number 14. If you go back there, Genesis 14, and uh, look in verse number uh, 20. And here, Melchizedek, uh, or Melchizedek, um, he... Uh, he talks about God being the strong, strong one. And he says in verse 20, And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. In the Hebrew there, the, the, the most high God is El Eleon, which is the strongest, strong one. And then uh, Isaiah 14, here's another reference. Isaiah 14, and for those who... No Isaiah and Isaiah 14, maybe you kind of remember that a little bit. Well, that's um, the passage where we find Satan, Lucifer, being cast out of heaven for wanting to be like the Most High. And we referenced this on Sunday as we uh, looked at purging pride. And so he says in uh, verse number, here, here this Satan, Lucifer says in verse number uh, 13, he says, um, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And so when he says that most high, he's using this phrase, El Eleon, the strongest strong one. I will be like the strongest strong one. Well, Lucifer, you are strong, but you're not you're not going to be the strongest strong one. That is reserved for God alone. And so El Eleon, he is the strong, strongest strong one. And then the third one here is El Shaddai. Most of us have heard this one before, El Shaddai. And uh, this one uh, refers to God as the all-powerful. And uh, God is the all-powerful warrior of warriors, the invincible one. And uh, we find this in Genesis 17. If you want to flip back over there, Genesis chapter number 17, El Shaddai. In verse number, uh, verse number 1, it says, When Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I am the El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. And uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that because, uh, and I'm sure Abram was thankful for that too because in chapter 16, we just looked at it a moment ago when Abram listened to his wife's plan and they weren't patient. They tried to help God out. And now here in Genesis 17, 1, uh, God reminds Abram, hey, I'm the all-powerful one. Uh, you need to trust me. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret. I'm going to make this happen. And he did make it happen, of course. So he is the all-powerful. And then the fourth one uh, we're going to look at here, uh, El Olam which means the everlasting God. And uh, this is found in Isaiah chapter number 40. 
If you want to flip back to Isaiah chapter 40 here, we'll kind of be doing a little flipping back and forth. And in verse number 28, before I read that, Isaiah 40 is usually regarded as one of the greatest Old Testament chapters. The prophet begins by predicting both the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. He then contrasts the, contrasts the awesome power of the true God with the miserable uh, incompetence of all idols. But carnal Israel had trouble accepting this, wondering just how these wonderful events could transpire. And Isaiah's response is well known in verse number 28, where he says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator, of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. So the everlasting God, El Olam, the everlasting God. He is eternal. He didn't have a beginning and he'll not have an end. He's everlasting. Um, and uh, I, one of my favorite candies is the everlasting gobstopper. How many like the gobstoppers? Okay, thank you. Uh, that's one of my favorite candies. Uh, how many have never heard of a gobstopper? Oh boy, okay, we need to change your life. <laughs> Those things will change your life. They're good. Um, they're called the everlasting gobstopper, but the thing is, they're not that everlasting. <laughs> they, they, they call them jawbreakers, which you don't want to put them in your mouth and immediately start chewing. You have to suck on them for about a minute, and then you can, then you can start biting on them. They're not everlasting. But God is truly everlasting. He transcends time. He, he's always existed and always will. And uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't fit into the time box that you and I are in. He's everlasting. El Olam. And uh, going back to El Shaddai, I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful for the fact that he's all powerful and and uh, again, whatever we go through in our life, he can see us through and we can trust him. So those are some compound words for the name El. Uh, the, third, the third name we want to look at is the name Adonai. Adonai. And what does the word Adonai mean? It means Lord. It means Master, Lord. The Hebrew Old Testament name Adonai and its Greek New Testament counterpart, Kurios, describe the relationship between master and slave. God owns all of his children, thus Adonai carries with it twofold uh, implication. And uh, the primary meaning of Adonai is master, and it is applied in the Old Testament scriptures both to God and to man. And uh, going back to Genesis, okay, we're going back and forth from Genesis to Isaiah, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 15, because we're going to find... The first time that Adonai is used, Genesis 15, in verse number 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me? So he uses that word Lord there, uh, Adonai, uh, as talking about master. And the New Testament Greek word for Lord, by the way, is curios, as I mentioned a moment ago. And it, and it is the New Testament equivalent for the Old Testament Adonai. 
Kurios is used for Jehovah God. If you look at Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 22, and Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4-7, um, you're going to see that these same words, Lord, uh, go hand in hand, okay? The King James translates in the Old Testament it being Lord, and then in the New Testament they also translate Kurios as Lord. Now the fact that Kurios is also used for Jesus identifies him as Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Um, so when it says Lord, it's referring to Jehovah God, and in the Old Testament, and when it says Lord in the New Testament, it's also pointing to the fact that Jesus is not just a regular, you know, master or teacher, but that he is Jehovah God, the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Um, and remember in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas sees Jesus and, and Jesus says, hey, behold my hands and my feet, go ahead and thrust your fingers and into my side. And he said, he called Jesus my Lord, which is Kyrios, and my God, Theos. So he was, Thomas wasn't just calling Jesus, you know, his teacher. He was calling him the Jehovah God um, that those Jewish disciples knew God to be. So when that revelation came to Thomas and he was like, you are Jehovah God. You are Jehovah God. And there's more we could say about uh, that, but uh, let's move on to uh, the next one here. And that is, um, uh, let me see, where am I, where am I at here? Uh, Jehovah, number four, Jehovah. Jehovah. And what does the name Jehovah mean? Well, it means the self-existent one the God of the covenant. And we're going to go to a different book of the Bible here, Genesis. Nope, we're going to go to Exodus. Exodus chapter number three. Exodus chapter number three. The self-existent one, the God of the covenant. In verse number 13, Moses said unto God, and when this is when Moses is at the burning bush and God is calling him to lead the people, of the Egyptians, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Um, and he says, Moses said unto God, Well, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, well, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. So this is the most common name for God occurring over 6,800 times in the scriptures. Jehovah. The name Jehovah in Exodus chapter 6 and verse number 3, if you want to just flip a page or two over. And verse number three, and I appeared <clears throat> unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And that's an interesting discussion on why 
we find in the book of Genesis the name Jehovah found a few times, but um, how this verse says that he was not known by that name, um, and there's more we could talk about that. That's a different lesson, discussion. Um, there's good reason for it. But um, that name Jehovah in Exodus 6 and verse 3 is the Hebrew tetragrammaton, which is a four-letter expression, Yahweh, W-H-W-H, sorry. And because of the sacredness of the name, the Jewish reader would not even pronounce it, substituting the word Adonai in its place when read aloud. And uh, that is a special name, but that's not in the scriptures do we find that we have to do that. If he wouldn't want us reading his name, then why would he put it in the scriptures? So Jehovah is an okay name to say. Um, obviously, we need to not take it in vain. Um, we understand that from the uh, Ten Commandments. But uh, the Jewish reader uh, would be very careful about what uh, and how they used it, and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even say it really. Um, but Jehovah is the personal name by which God is revealed in the Old Testament. And, uh, and it's usually translated by the word Lord in all capital letters in your Bible. So there's different times when you see Lord and it's capital L, lowercase o-r-d. But then there's other times where you'll see capital L, you know, it's, they, didn't, they didn't accidentally keep the caps lock on when they wrote that. They did that on purpose, okay, to differentiate what they're trying to say here, what, who they're referring to, and the context of who it is. But Jehovah is usually capital L-O-R-D, and it, and it appears, as I said, um, over 6,800 times in the scriptures. And uh, the name Jehovah really encompasses everything that God is, but especially emphasizes that God is Redeemer. Remember, it was Jehovah sought Adam after the fall and clothed him in coats, signifying the salvation provided by Jesus and his sacrifice. But Jehovah is both judge and savior as well. He is the covenant-keeping redeemer to the believers as well as the holy God of judgment to the unbeliever. And we see this definition in the first mention of Jehovah in Genesis 2 and 3. God is called Jehovah 19 times in these chapters, we see Jehovah as a loving creator, making man and providing for all of his needs. We see Jehovah as the just judge, giving man the first law and warning of judgment for disobedience. We see Jehovah as judge, punishing man after the fall. But we also see him as the redeemer, seeking sinners, bringing them to repentance, prophesying of the coming Savior, and clothing them in, in the coats which signified the salvation provided by the sacrifice of God's Son, one day on the cross. So this is the definition of Jehovah that Solomon emphasized at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Solomon said Jehovah God is the only God. He keeps covenant and shows mercy. He keeps his promises. He gives laws and deals with men on the basis of their obedience. And the greatness of Jehovah's mercy and salvation can only be understood in light of his terrible holiness. Jehovah is the lawgiver and the punisher of lawbreakers. The book of Psalms is a book of praise to Jehovah God. Forty-one times the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, or praise ye the Lord, in all capital letters, again, indicating that that is Jehovah. 
Jehovah is to be praised because of his goodness and his mercy. And 16 times we are told that Jehovah is good. And several references here, but I'm just kind of giving you the main thought. Jehovah's mercies are great. They're manifold. They're tender. They're plenteous. They're multitudinous. They're everlasting. And the believer is compassed with Jehovah's mercy. His mercies are as high as the heaven is above the earth. He is full of compassion. And so uh, we could talk a little bit more about that, but let's get into some of these uh, compound names for Jehovah. And there's nine of them, and we're not going to get through all of them tonight. Uh, but these are, these are great. These are amazing. First of all, we have Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. Most of us are familiar with Jehovah Jireh. In this context of this is Genesis 22. And if you want to look there, Genesis 22, verse number 1, came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah. You could have them. I'll tell them I'll call them back after, after the service. Um, anyway, I'm surprised mine's not going off. <laughs> um, Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, went unto the place of which God had told him. And you know the story here. Um, God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Well, they're walking up the hill. Verse number seven, Isaac spake unto Abraham his father. He said, uh, uh, he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, Well, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And uh, I'm, verse eight, there's a lot in that verse, you know, um, that God was going to somehow provide a lamb, but he would one day provide himself as a lamb when he sent his only son to die on the cross, the Lamb of God, for our sin. Well, verse 9, they came to the place which God had told him of. Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched forth his son, took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And then Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. And so in that moment, he calls Jehovah. He said, Jehovah, you have provided. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. And uh, I'm thankful for the provision of God in my life. Thankful most of all for the fact that he provided salvation for me. And he's also provided a wonderful family 
and a wonderful church family. Um, and, and on top of that all, all the other blessings in my life, all the material and the health and, um, you know, all the different things that God has blessed me with. And, you know, when, uh, when you're needing something, I'm thankful that God is Jehovah Jireh, that, that he will provide. Now, he doesn't always provide in the way we want, them, want, want him to. You know, Lord, would you provide me a brand new Ferrari? Well, you know, I thought you're Jehovah Jireh. You're supposed to give us what you're supposed to provide. Yeah, he provides what we need, not necessarily what we greed. Okay? So uh, the Lord will provide, and Jehovah Jireh is that. And by the way, he, he was Jehovah Jireh in Genesis 22, and he's Jehovah Jireh in 2022. You see what I did there? I just actually made that up. The Lord gave that to me. The Lord provided that for me. Uh, but yes, he was Jehovah Jireh in Genesis 22. It's worth saying again. Uh, and he's Jehovah Jireh in 2022. And he'll be Jehovah Jireh in 2023. Yeah, even when Joe Biden is our commander in chief. He still will provide what we need uh, in our lives, and we can trust him. So Jehovah Jireh is a wonderful name given to him in the scriptures. How about we do one more, and we'll call it good on that. Um, we'll, we'll pick it up here next week. But let's do one more. Jehovah Nisi, or Nisi. And it's not Nisan, just in case you're wondering. Jehovah Nisi, meaning the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. And uh, let me go to this. Let me find it here. Exodus uh, 17, Exodus 17. Let's go ahead and flip over there real quick as we do one more. Exodus 17. So the context of this, the nation of, nation of Israel has just exodused out of Egypt. And uh, now in, verse, in chapter 17, uh, verse number 8, it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men. Go out, fight with Amalek, and tomorrow... I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass uh, when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands were heavy. Uh, Brother Jacob and I, uh, well, Jacob was telling me uh, we were putting these lights up, uh, I guess, last week. And he was like, yeah, um, my hands were, he was holding that up while I was screwing some things in, and he was like, you know, they, they had to hold it up for a lot longer, but my hands were getting, my arms were getting tired. So anyway, um, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat there, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. 
And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. And I, I think I'm not saying it right. Nisi. There it is. I think it's Nisi. Um, the Jehovah is my banner. This is the name that Moses gave to an altar after God defeated um, Israel's enemy Amalek and promised to destroy him utterly. This name teaches us that God is powerful and faithful to defeat the enemies of his people. And God is the believer's victory over all enemies. And I'm thankful that when Jesus rose from the grave, he defeated all the enemies, death, hell, and the grave. And, uh, and one day, he's going to be Jehovah uh, Nisi again when uh, the... Let's, let's go and look at this real quick because this is amazing. Okay, we all think, you know, we're getting close to the end, and I think, I think you're right, um, but we're, we're, not, we're not real close to the end because at, at most or the least amount of time to the very end is seven years plus a thousand years plus a short season. We don't know exactly how long that is because we have the tribulation period, then we have the thousand-year reign of Christ, and then we have a short season when the devil's loosed, and then he begins to uh, form a big movement against God, against Christ, and against God's people. And uh, let's look at it. Revelation 20 very quickly, and then we'll, we'll, we'll close and uh, do some prayer requests. Revelation 20, verse number 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. We don't know exactly how long this is going to take, but... Verse number eight says, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. And, and notice here, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So the devil is very persuasive in this moment. I mean, and you think about it, we're in that moment, we have the perfect leader. We have the perfect one who is in charge of the world. We have Jesus Christ who's in charge of the government. And you and I are ruling and reigning with him, by the way. And he is, the devil is going to be able to go out and still deceive so many people that the Bible says it's as the sand of the sea. That's, you know, he's going to say, hey, let's overthrow Jesus. Let's get a new leader. I mean, how long has he been reigning anyway? A thousand years? Time for some, it's time for change. Right? Isn't that part of your slogan there, uh, Miss Catherine? Time for change? Okay. Not saying that you're trying to, I'm not trying to say that, Jesus, that Satan's going to borrow your campaign slogan. <laughs> but, but he's probably going to say, look, we need somebody else in charge. This, this, is, this is getting out of hand. We've got to overthrow this guy. And he is able to convince, as the sand of the sea, number of people to join his cause. And so verse number 9 it says this, they went up upon the they went up on the breadth of the earth. I mean, there the moment has come. Let's do this. We're going to organize and we're going to go up and and overthrow Jesus. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. So they're gathered around and it's it's about showtime. And here's what it simply says. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Kind of nonchalantly, 
I mean, it's, it's not going to look nonchalant. The scene isn't. But this huge group of people coming to, you know, once and for all with their pride flags and all of it, I'm sure. And uh, in a moment, fire is going to come down from heaven and devour all of them. Verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jehovah Nisai, the Lord is my banner. He's going to give victory over all enemies. And so we are going to potentially deal with persecution and enemies that are going to come against us as believers. Don't forget that Jehovah Nisai still exists. Okay, He hasn't changed. He still has the ability to defeat the enemies of his people. That doesn't mean that we're not going to experience persecution. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be martyrs. There were, tremend- there were stories of those who gave their life in the scriptures. And then in, since um, in history, we see many believers who gave their lives for their faith. Um, but one day, he is going to make all things right. And he, he is still Jehovah Nisai. He is my banner. With that, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look at some prayer requests uh, tonight. Lord, we do thank you for who you are. Thank you for the names of God that give us some insight into who you are. And we're thankful that who you were in the Old Testament is the same God today that we serve. And Lord, you still provide. You still defeat enemies. And one day, you're going to defeat all the enemies in one fell swoop. And you're going to make all things right. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to trust you. Lord, thank you for your character. And help us to dwell upon your character. And to filter everything that we go through in this life through who you are. Uh, Lord, to remember that you're going to see us through. That the trials and tribulations of this life are not bigger than you are. And that you, can, that you have all power. And that you're good. And you're merciful, and you're going to provide. And Lord, help us to remember those things when we go through difficult times.